Hello and welcome to another episode of Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse. Today we're going to be looking at uh, a response to the Labour Party manifesto and the response is called The New Deal for the Arts by Kieran Curran. My name's Owen Kelly and I'm here with... Sophie Hope. Okay. Now the response that we're looking at is uh, written by Kieran Curran and published in uh, newsocialist.org UK and we'll talk a bit about both of those later but the article is a response it's called Beyond the Manifesto A New Deal for the Arts and Sophie tell us what it's responding to the Labour Party manifesto in 2017 had a section on the arts didn't it? It did, yes. So I've got that in front of me. The um, It's a 126-page document, the Labour Party manifesto from last year, and two pages of those 126 pages um, are designated to uh, a chapter called Culture for All, with no question mark at the end of it. Um, and it outlines a few areas of them of, of their manifesto that I, I, I presume that they would enact if they were in power. Um, it's very, the language is still based on the notion of creative industries and uh, investment, tourism and, um, and kind of progress and the future. So um, the idea of it being positioning them, them, ourselves as a country in competition with the rest of the world. So that kind of uh, that language is still very present in this manifesto, I would say. Um, there are a few really specific proposals they make, including a £1 billion cultural capital fund to, I quote, upgrade our existing cultural and creative infrastructure to be ready for the digital age and invest in creative clusters across the country, based on a similar model to enterprise zones. Um, so that, uh, that is a, a specific proposal. I don't know the details of that cultural capital fund. Maybe that's something we could look into um, in more detail in a future episode. Um, uh, they, they also bring up a few times the cuts to local authorities um, that the Conservative Party have made and that they would reverse those cuts and that that would help things. Um, they make really specific reference to marking the ongoing centenary of the First World War and also to introducing an arts pupil premium to every primary school in England, um, which would be a boost for schools to invest in projects that would support cultural activities. So um, I guess that's quite you know, specifically uh, speaking to the, 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 the conservative pol party policies around, which have essentially removed the arts from the curriculum. They're kind of saying that they put them back at the centre of the curriculum. There is also like this ongoing um, uh, like perpetuation of the language of creative industries and notions of, of, of talent. So they talk about uh, a thriving creative sector and the need for a strong pipeline of skilled talent to sustain its growth. So that's um, pretty, I'd, I'd say, a kind of continuation and quite similar to Conservative and previous Labour Party um, uh, approaches to an emphasis on creative industries um, and also career advice yeah they seem if I if I may interrupt you a second to be to be a fairly conservative ragbag of proposals that uh, may individually do good things but within a very constrained and traditional framework 
Am I reading it wrongly? Yeah, no, I, th I think you're right. I think there might be some interesting things going on with these specific, specific proposals, but there's not, we, uh, there's not a kind of underlying uh, philosophy or politics of cultural democracy underpinning this. It still, it still reads as quite a kind of top-down democratisation of culture approach and also a, a very sort of neoliberal one, really. There is some kind of mention around the, the inequality in, set in, the, in the arts and cultural sectors in terms of exploitation of unpaid labour and the implications that has on, on the sector. Um, so there are sort of some, you know, things that chime in terms of a, a, a left labour position. Um, but yeah, they've kind of missed the boat, I'd say, on the, uh, on the cultural democracy aspect <laughs> of what could be possible. Yeah, even where, even where they're talking about what we might call modern things, it looks to me as though the areas they identify are quite specific but that they haven't actually either got or commissioned or asked for specific ideas. One paragraph that drew my attention says, we recognise the serious concern about the value gap in quote marks between producers of creative content and the digital services that profit from its use. And we'll work with all sides to review the way that innovators and artists are rewarded for their work in the digital age. This strikes me as having two things that odd about it. One is that it has an old-fashioned traditional view that everybody is basically good-hearted and somehow there is a mechanical flaw in the system, or a digital flaw in the system, that is preventing everybody's good-heartedness producing win-win situations all the time. Whereas the fact is that large record companies, large media conglomerates, are doing very well off the current system. And that musicians are getting little money from streaming services, while money is flowing through the streaming services to media conglomerates. And the idea of ensuring that, that everybody benefits seems to me oddly naive, both in terms of its, it seems to suggest that everybody, as I say, is, is merely failing to understand some difficulties. But secondly, and based upon that, it doesn't either say what those difficulties actually are, or indicate any way in which the, these could be dealt with. It's, they will simply work with all sides to review the way that innovators and artists are rewarded. And that seems to me far from a, a new idea. I mean, we're all sure we're all in favour of that. We're all in favour of people being rewarded for their work. It's just how they get rewarded and how much they get rewarded that is usually the problem. And this does nothing to tackle that as an issue. And I think we could say that about most of the paragraphs there. But perhaps we yeah, should then move on. Picture. Rather than talking about what's wrong with it, in a sense, we're here to talk about what Kieran Curran has done in his A New Deal for the Arts article on, on uh, newsocialist.org to suggest ways of going beyond it. So perhaps if I just explain briefly who Kieran Curran is. It says somewhere or other online that Kieran Curran is a writer and musician living in Edinburgh, Scotland. Originally from Galway in the Republic of Ireland, he holds a PhD in music from the University of Edinburgh where he also taught in a variety of departmental contexts music, English literature, visual cult culture. 
He's published a monograph on modern British cultural history, a book chapter on DIY cassette cultures in modern-day Scotland, which I might add is very interesting, and writes on a regular basis for the Glasgow alternative culture magazine, Communal Leisure. And now, this is what we're looking at is his first article for newsocialist.org.uk. So, Sophie, what's newsocialist.org.uk? Again, um, this is I've got this from their website. Uh, so, as far as I can understand, New, New Socialist is a, an edited online journal um, run by volunteers and accepts um, contributions. Uh, is an open kind of has an open call for contributions, and was set up um, in uh, in 2017 uh, alongside the. Um, manifesto I guess the, the Labour Party manifesto and um, the rise of Corbyn so uh, the new, they say that the new socialist aims to build on on this um, uh, by engaging with and supporting the grassroots left movement to shape a Labour Party that's inclusive diverse transparent and truly democratic it seeks to help build organize and encourage the movement as well as fostering robust intellectual discussion raise a sharp debate and thorough criticism thorough criticism Unashamedly partisan, but by no means an echo chamber, New Socialist will continue to serve as an intransigent rabble-rouser, as well as a journal of ideas, providing a home for domestic and international socialist-left perspectives. So that gives a bit of background as to where they're coming from and the, and the context in which um, Curran's article sits and, and why we're discussing it. Okay, so what should we discuss? Which aspects of it? I mean, he begins his article by listing some of the things that we've just highlighted from the Labour Party's 2017 manifesto, and he lists them in a rather less sceptical way than us, I think. Or, yes, I think that's true. He talks about the one billion cultural capital fund that the Labour Party announces, and its commitment to diversity, of encouraging housing developments and music venues to coexist, of combating the value gap, which we just discussed a second ago, and the arts pupil premium and the provision of career guidance counselling for artistic purposes. But as he points out that these latter two were more like holdovers from the previous general election. How do you, how do you feel about, about, he talks about Corbyn having uh, a more honest and genuine uh, appreciation of and care about culture. He quotes the fact that he's, Corbyn has lauded uh, Wolf Alice, the Mercury Prize winners for their advocacy of increasing access in music education and so on. He also talks about Corbyn's professed love of James Joyce's Ulysses and the ragged trousers, trousered philanthropists. Do you feel, I suppose one interesting question to ask you, so do you feel the, this shift is genuine? By which I mean it could be a personal, personal uh, interest of Corbyn's or it could be signalling a wider shift of interest in the Labour Party and the Labour movement? I still think there's a long way to go. I don't know if Jeremy Corbyn or Tom Watson have heard of cultural democracy. <laughs> I still don't know if they know what that means or if they've been engaged in debates around this in the past. I think, you know, like it shows in the cultural, even though they've mentioned culture in the manifesto, unlike, um, I don't think the Tory party does um, have so much on culture, it's still a very marginalised, you know, low down the agenda kind of thing. And um, and I think it's, I guess, some of the kind of attempts 
within, for example, the movement for cultural democracy that we were talking about, um, the current movement for cultural democracy, it, it's about um, in, uh, kind of thinking about things in, in holistically and, and, and in a connected way. So it's, I don't think it kind of makes sense to have two separate pages on, cult, on culture for all. Um, that's still a very uh, marginalising approach. Rather, the whole a whole manifesto, a whole approach could could be a cultural de democracy kind of approach. And I think that's something that Curran is pointing to in his article about and and, and trying to kind of move move beyond and um, uh, become get, I guess get more a bit more radical with what could be done with all of this. Um, he has he does have at the end um, sort of a snapshot of five points. And I guess almost quite, quite like a manifesto and in, in, in a way there are so many parallels and overlaps with the movement for cultural democracies manifesto um, and these are really connected to structural conditions and the need for um, uh, full housing and, um, and time and space and, 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 and kind of resources um, so this idea at point number two for example Can I highlight one point that I think he makes that I, I think exemplifies what you're talking yeah. about. He talks about how um, all of these things are, which we've talked about so far are, are good but not necessarily particularly left-wing. He then goes on to say, however, a politics that advocates for the importance of imaginative culture needs to argue for both popular and unpopular yeah. culture. We needn't require legitimation by the market as a productive part of the creative industries, in quote marks. More than this, a core political avowal in favour of art, broadly conceived, speaks to the power of individual liberation within the collective that is the hallmark of a dynamic democratic socialism. And it seems to me that is one of the key points he makes that moves beyond the 2017 Labour Party mm. manifesto. The argument that there I think he is touching upon ideas of cultural democracy as he talks about, about the fact that we don't need to be legitimised by the market and that the importance of imaginative culture depends as much on unpopular culture as it does on popular culture. And I think, I think there he is definitely moving beyond the manifesto to something that has the ability to act as the starting point for a much more radical discussion. Owen, can you, just to, to rewind, I'm really interested in this idea that he, this quote, the power of individual liberation within the collective. Can you say a bit more about that in relation to your experience of histories of cultural democracy? And was that something that felt, that does that ring true to how you were thinking about cultural democracy in the 80s? Yes, I think it does. I think that um, one of the important aspects that we have to consider is placing people's own agendas at the forefront. That one of the dangers in espousing any idea like cultural democracy is it comes, as indeed it looks as though it has again in the 2017 manifesto, it comes to mean retraining the current uh, bureaucrats or the current policy makers or offering the current bureaucrats and policy makers slightly more interesting jobs with slightly revised terms. So for example in the 2017 manifesto the Labour Party is suggesting the largest investment in 
cultural infrastructure in the history of Britain. And it says quite specifically, let me find the section in the manifesto, it says quite specifically, uh, this will be administered by the Arts Council. The fund will be available over a five-year period. It will be among the biggest arts infrastructure funds ever, transforming the country's cultural landscape. To which I can only say, no, it won't. Because <laughs> what you're essentially saying there is you're begging the question. In philosophical terms, you're begging the question. You're saying, we're going to transform the cultural, country's cultural landscape and we're going to create a billion-dollar fund for this and then we're going to ask the Arts Council to run it for us. Well, if the Arts Council were interested in running that sort of thing, they could run it now. And so it seems to me there we see possibly the right, the right attitude, possibly the right set of hopes, but no engagement in how that will be delivered and how the method of delivery will seek time and again to undermine the effects that we're trying to pursue. The need to have individual empowerment within groups is the need for people to feel that they have the ability to participate in the culture they see around them. And that doesn't happen just in groups. Mm. It happens when you and I wake up in the morning and feel or don't feel we have the power to make an input into the culture in which we find ourselves living. And that doesn't depend upon or mean anything like that we have the ability to find out how to apply for an Arts Council grant and find out what the funding criteria are this year and then find out how we can fulfil those. That's not the same thing. It may be that these things are related, but they are not the same thing. And I think that's, that's an important thing to acknowledge, that we have to feel like we are prime movers in our own cultural spheres. And one thing I would say that we argued in the community arts movement in the 80s was this requires inverting the sense of hierarchy. It requires people to assert that the culture they are involved in, the groups they are involved in, are, are and should be primary in their own lives. And that they are the ones that they should be empowered to act in. And as those cultural groups interact, we build up a national culture. The view that the Labour Party is still propagating, which is, I think, why you were talking about it earlier as democratisation of culture, is the view that we can hand this task to specially trained people who will do it for us and make us feel like we count. I don't want to feel like I count. I actually want a large group in which I'm a participant to feel I count. And in that, I don't need to be validated by either the market or by cultural gatekeepers. Now there are some places in England that have always had some elements of this inverted hierarchy. Liverpool, Sheffield, have always had an intense self-conscious notion of there being a Liverpool or Sheffield culture. And I think those are starting points. There are 
for what, looking at what we're talking about and how it can be developed. How is it that Liverpool, Sheffield, Manchester have a sense of their own culture and how is it that people who make policy regard, have come to regard that as a secondary factor of marginal interest? And that basically, traditionally, it goes from the Arts Council to a regional organisation to a district authority who then hand it out to people locally. And it should be going the other way around. We should be, people in Liverpool should be empowered to strengthen the culture that exists on Merseyside. Same with people in Manchester, Birmingham, same with people in Glasgow. And I think that relate, uh, relates to the, um, uh, the, the, the sort of manifesto type points that Curran puts up at the end um, around infrastructures and the, if that hierarchy can be inverted. Um, so in point number two, he says, government funding and intervention in the arts should not be atomised. For a sustainable culture, we need intervention into public house building, the provision of new forms of welfare, such as Liverpool universal basic income, constitutional change, last and lasting arts infrastructures, such as public cultural centres, etc. And I think it's that, that relationship between thinking, yes, how do, cult how do people... Um, uh, have the you know how do we feel like we have the agency to do um, to do what we want to do as individuals in relation to the to the groups we're living amongst and with and between and um, and how uh, yeah what enables me to to think I can do what the hell I want to do <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> in relation to these networks and and, and neighbourhoods and um, and communities and if that is infrastructural. I guess, which is what he's suggesting, and I think is what what the what the movement for cultural cultural democracy is suggesting is that you you can't kind of have um, cultural democracy without some of these uh, interventions into public housing and welfare. But I think as well, Kieran takes up something here that is very important when he talks about cultural funding and intervention not being atomized. I think there is a uh, there is a tendency to say to see the arts, in quote marks, as something separate. Something separate from housing policy, from educational policy. And people say things like, we must have more arts input into educational policy. And I think that's stating it again the wrong way round. I think that what we actually need is a holistic policy system that recognises that culture and economics intertwine and interweave and that what we're talking about is people's lives and we should see it from the fact that people live their lives holistically they come home they decide what will i do in the evening they don't say oh it's wednesday i must allot some of my free time to culture they switch and maybe to sort of wrap up we are broadly uh, excited and um in tune with what uh, Kieran Curran has to say, I think, aren't we? And, and I guess something that would make it's made me think about is how to um, connect up with him and the um, and the journal uh, with to, you know to connect this this podcast and also the cultural democracy current cultural democracy manifesto and movement.
it would make sense to kind of link these things together. Exactly, yes, I think you're right. And I think that um, we need to think carefully about the outcomes of what we're doing, what Kieran's Curran's doing. Because one of the questions that always bothers me is that I agree with most of what Kieran is saying, and I think um, it comes very close to agreeing with a lot of what we've been saying. But the question, so what, arises in my mind every now and then. At yeah. some point, we need to find some way of actually engaging with those people who have whatever power they have so that we end up not talking on the margins. This occurs in a lot of places. We're talking about this now, and we have no reason to assume Jeremy Corbyn will hear this, and we have every reason to assume that the Arts Council is part of a, a network of high-flying, left-leaning people that all know what they mean, in the sense that a lot of basic premises remain undiscussed. And our problem is we're trying to discuss basic premises. They're discussing redistributing things more fairly, and they're discussing making sure that nobody feels left out, and making sure that there is a proper sense of diversity in employment policies and culture, etc. And that's all good. That's all good. But it all happens within a group of unanalyzed and unargued premises. So what actually happens is quotas are set up or targets are, are devised and everything comes to be about the fact that there are now 34% more musicians earning more than 15,000 a year or something like this. Those become outputs. And we're talking about a very different set of premises. And I think, for example, to go back to one that I know Kieran's written things about tape culture. And when we look at the Labour Party's manifesto, to go back to this one I mentioned before, just to wrap up, they were talking about the way in which they must uh, discuss to improve the value gap between producers of creative content and the digital services. But you might equally say that there is a much more important premise to be tackled. Mick Jagger, not somebody I would necessarily often quote in a discussion about left-wing politics, Mick Jagger has said quite firmly that in his view, the fact that people like him became millionaires or billionaires on the basis of rock music was a temporary historical blip, a temporary alignment of circumstances, which means that just as in early Hollywood, something's happened which will never happen again, Mick Jagger says that nobody forming a band today will have the career path that he and the Beatles and, and whoever and whoever had, because capitalism has moved beyond that. So I think we need to have a serious look at what does it mean to be a musician, for example, in the 21st century, in, an, in a culture in which digital items get passed around free. Not just how can it be fairer, how can people more how can we make it more likely that people will will live like Mick Jagger? When even Mick Jagger himself says he doesn't believe that's possible for historical 
reasons about, around the development of capitalism. That relates to the um, broader, yeah, broader discussions around the role of the artist within um, cultural democracy and the relationship between intellectual property and creative commons and you know what kind of are we copy left are we copy right in the movement for cultural democracy are we um uh, you know and, and if 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 we're copy left then how are we um how do we pay the rent and put food on the table and all the rest of it those age-old questions um, see i think i think you're entirely right and i think those are the things that we will need to talk about in future episodes because we could spend forever talking in manifesto talk about yeah. how cultural democracy is wonderful and how it might work in broad terms. But those are the real questions. How do, how do we form a folk band and make a living at it? Or are we saying, you can't do that anymore? It's a hobby. Well, I guess that's, that's why we've got you know, that's why it's all entwined, I think, into those economic structures. So that, and I think that's why in the manifesto and in, and in Curran's article, um, UBI comes up as a, as a possible, not flawless kind of, um, you know, solution, but, um, but how does a universal basic income um, or act as some kind of support structure to enable people to produce Culture. Can I just finish off then by, by pointing out one more interesting thing that I found out just before we began this. I was looking through newsocialist.org.uk's website and they are funding themselves through Patreon. Oh yes, the website about where that, you yeah. voluntarily yeah. agree to pay some money to a cultural activist or artist so that they will have the ability to continue working. Yeah. Now, that is, that's an interesting standpoint in terms of what we're talking about on yeah. their behalf. And that, I think, raises questions that we should look at some way down the line. Absolutely. I'd really like to do that, yeah. That'll be a future episode, um, definitely. Um, great. Well, shall we, shall we leave it there, Owen, and, um, and get on with our to-do lists? <laughs> yes, let's go away and do other things now. Speak to you soon. Um, I'd speak to you soon. Bye bye. Bye.